Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. We are starting a new series today on the way of the wise. Proverbs depicts this idea that's kind of like the culmination of everything in Scripture, that there's two paths you can take. You can take a wise path, which leads to righteousness, like right standing with God, to like know him and love him. Or you can kind of take what it would call a foolish path, a way that does not glorify God and may glorify selves or yourself or harm others. And so as, it, as we look at these two paths that you can take, during these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at Proverbs 4. So if you'd like to, you can open up your Bibles. I'm going to read a couple verses from Proverbs 4, namely 20 through 23. Um, And it says this, my child, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to what I say. Don't ever forget my words. Keep them always in my mind. If you have kids, you're like, yes, please listen to me all the time. Not just, you know, when I'm saying it to you, right? And it says in verse 22, they are the key to life. For those who find them, and they bring health to the whole body, not just physically, but your mind, your body, your spirit, your soul, this holistic health. And then verse 23 says this Be careful what you think, because thoughts run your life. Be careful what you think, because thoughts run your life. There's this German theologian, his name was Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and he got most of like what he was famous for during World War II. Right? Like he was this upper class guy. He was a professor. He was even a committed pacifist. He ended up like being a participant in the assassination of Hitler. He had a crazy story. But he, during World War II, decided with some other people that he was going to start an underground seminary. He was going to go and train pastors to in the way of Jesus so that they could spread Christianity against this other movement of Nazism that was happening. And so he set up this underground seminary. It's where, like, he wrote a book called Life Together. It's where they practice that to live in community. He also wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship and what that means to follow Jesus. And a lot of that material came from living this common life with other people and seeking Jesus. And he was kind of a, he was kind of a genius, and he had a lot of zeal from God to do this. Well, one day when he's at this seminary, another friend who he had known growing up kind of visits him and starts to talk to him about what he's doing. He visits him and he's a bit unsettled by by Bonhoeffer's zeal. It it felt too intense. He was kind of trying to talk him out of too much spiritualism, saying things like, this is not becoming of you. Why don't you just stay in your lane? Go back to being a professor. Go back to what you know. You've abandoned what you know. And so Bonhoeffer kind of, they get in a boat and they, they row across this sound to an airfield that was across. And they can see the place where the Third Reich is training their troops. They can see the formation that's happening there. And Bonhoeffer looks at him and he says this, what we're doing, our Christian walk, our life must be stronger than that. Like, like, Like the enemy is forming people. We live in a world that's forming people constantly. And our Christian walk needs to be stronger than that. And through that, through this conversation of the way of the wise, if our thoughts run our life, we have to understand 
what truth is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes into that speech, says that to him, and it says in his biography, they rode back in silence. This must be stronger than that. And over these next three weeks, we're going to look at a couple different things. But the first one is our minds, what we think, and then our speech, what we say, and then our actions, what we do. But life has gotten too hard for hype to be spiritually effective. We can't just get excited about things. We have to be stronger as people who are being formed into something. And in a sense, we live in a pandemic of not knowing truth. Now, I know the word pandemic has been thrown around a lot over the past few years, but the idea of a pandemic is something that's widespread and plaguing people. People die from not knowing truth. In John 8, Jesus said, I am the truth, and people die from not knowing him. And we must be formed as people who know truth to share with other people. Paul wrote it this way in 2 Corinthians 10.5. He said, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. This is your call as a Christian. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we must take every thought captive to obey Christ. We have to take every thought captive to obey Christ. So as we talk about this today, as we talk about truth, we're actually going to be looking at a story of a people group in the Bible. It's the Israelites and their plague of not knowing what was true or truth. Yeah, and these weren't just any people, right? These were people, these were God's people. These were people who claimed to follow God, and even they struggled to believe truth and to know what was true. So if you want to follow along with us this morning, um, you can turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. So this is uh, meeting us in a place after God's people were delivered from Egypt. So you may be familiar with the story where a man named Moses goes into Egypt and he frees his people, the Israelites, from slavery to Egypt. And they cross the Red Sea. They witness all these miracles from God. They enter the desert where God is providing for them day in, day out, food and water. And, um, and then he brings them to this mountain and gives them his commandments to follow and live by. And then he brings them to the edge of this land. This beautiful land that he had promised them years ago. And he instructs Moses to pick 12 men, one from each tribe, to go into the land and to explore it. Um, So we're going to pick up right now in verse 17, Numbers 13, 17. It says, when Moses sent them to scout out the land of Canaan, he told them, go up this way to the Negev and then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities they live in encampments or fortifications? So are they really small or are they really big and strong? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous. Be courageous. Bring back some fruit from the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they scouted out the land. So the first thing that we see in this passage this morning is that God sends his people out to search for truth. God sends his people out to search for truth. He sent representatives out on a mission to search for truth, to find what was good and what was beautiful about the land. Um, And Moses gave them really clear instructions on how they should search for truth. So he told them where to go. He said, go to the Negev in the hill country. He told them what to look for. And he asked all these guiding questions like, what's the land like? What are the people like? Um, Is the land fruitful or not? Are the cities fortified? Are they really easy to conquer? Um, And then he told them, most importantly, how to search. And he just said this. He said, be courageous. He said, be courageous. And so they went to the land, and they searched high and low for 40 days. And then they brought back huge 
fruit, like this giant thing of grapes that apparently had to be carried by two men on a pole. And it was proof, right, of the goodness of the land and how fruitful that it was. So when I was a little kid, (laughs) um, I was notoriously, like my family would tell you, I was so, so bad at looking for things. Like I was the worst looker. I was not observant at all. Like I would help my mom cook dinner and let's say we were making mashed potatoes. Okay. She'd be like, Hey Madeline, can you go in the pantry and get the potatoes? Well, like now I can close my eyes and see my childhood pantry. Like I know things didn't move. Okay. Like they stayed, they were in the same place every week. Like the second row was bags of chips. All right. The top, the top row was all of our boxes of sugar cereal that I loved. Like I know where things were. Okay. The potatoes were on the floor in a bag. But I could not for the life of me walk in there and find them. Like, I'd be staring straight at them, and I'd be like, I'd walk out, I'd get frustrated, I'd be like, Mom, you didn't buy potatoes this week. They are not in the pantry. Like, they are not there. Like, it wasn't my fault. Not just I couldn't find them. Like, you didn't buy them. They are not there. And my mom, you know, she'd walk in there, and literally in two seconds, you know, and I'm like, okay, I don't know how those magically appeared, but like they were not there when I went in there. And so I was just so bad at it. I was so bad at it. And I don't know how moms find so quickly, like it must be a magic power that they can go in and just find things that are lost so fast, so fast. It's like who, like it's who, the, the moms are who you ask when you lost something, right? Even, even dads, come on. Like you lose something, you're like, hey, do you know, like, you know, in two seconds, moms can find it. And so... It's true. How is this? Like, how is it that me as a child, I can't find things, but moms can find it so fast? Well, I think there's two reasons. I think, one, moms know what they're looking for, all right? They're going in there, and they're getting what they're looking for. They're not distracted by the sugar cereal and the cookies and the chips. Like, I walk in, I'm like, okay, mom, mission for potatoes. And the second I look in the pantry, I'm like, oh, man, those chips look good. I'm so hungry. Oh, bowl of cereal sounds really good right now. And all of a sudden, I don't even know what I'm in there for, but I know I can't find it. And the second thing is that moms remember exactly where to find it. Like, they bought those potatoes. My mom bought those potatoes, and then she put them away, and she didn't forget where she put them. Like, she knew where they were. But why do moms keep asking us as kids to go and get things? Like, it would be so much quicker for her to just go get the potatoes and bring them back. Why include me in the whole situation? Why deal with me? Okay? It's training. My mom knew that one day I was going to be a grown woman like I am today, married to a husband. Who and can't that I was find gonna, the potatoes. Who can't, <laughs> who can't find the potatoes. And I was going to need to find my own potatoes to cook my own dinner for my own family. She knew that I was going to be able need to learn how to remember and observe and find what I needed when I needed it. And God wants this for us too. God wants this for us too. He wants to train our mind's ability to seek truth so that we can grow up in our faith, so that we can find truth when we need it, when we have things that we need to remind ourselves of, we need to be able to enter and search and find those things when we need them. So let's start at the beginning. What is truth? Well, like Pastor Carson said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we know Jesus is truth. We know God's word, the Bible, is truth. And just like Moses gave detailed instructions for how the spies should search out the promised land, God also has given us detailed instructions for how we should seek and search out truth. So where do we go? Let's start there, where Moses started. Where do we go? We go to the Bible. We go to prayer. We go to worship. We go to Christian community, right? What do we look for when we get to those places? We look for God's character. Who is God? God is love. He's a provider. He's full of mercy and grace and goodness. He's a forgiver. We have to know who God is, his character. We look for the words of Jesus. What did Jesus say to us? What does Jesus say to us? We look for the promises of God. We talk about that all the time, that God is faithful to his promises. What did he promise us? 
We have to know these things. We have to look for these things. We've got to look for proof of our true identity in Christ. So who does God say that you are? Who does God say that I am? I need to know that. I need to know the commands from God. What did God say to do and not to do? How are we supposed to live? What is that about? And finally, we've got to look for wisdom. We've got to look for what Scripture says is wise because the world is real confused on what's wise and what's not. And finally, how should we search? This important question, how should we search? And it's the same as the spies. We've got to be courageous. We have to be courageous in our search of truth. So it's okay to have questions. It's okay to be confused about what you read in the Bible or what you hear on a Sunday morning. That's okay. You can talk to Jesus about that. You can talk to a trusted mentor or a friend about that. But at the end of the day, you've got to seek God. We have to seek God with a boldness and a courage and a faith and a desire to know more of who God is. And why is this important? Because God wants us to train our minds so that we can know truth from lies. If we don't know truth, then we can't discern what's truth and what's not. And the world is going to tell us a lot of things. You're hearing, you hear a truth all the time. Everyone thinks what they have to say is true. And, but eventually, your mind is going to start to be crowded by those truths. And one truth and the other truth, they clash, they contradict, they don't align. And you have to decide what's actually true. Which of these are true? And if you know God's heart, you know what scripture says, then you can discern what's right and what's wrong. And as a kids pastor and a youth pastor, this is super important for your kids. We have to be Moses for our kids and our students. We have to help them learn how to enter God's word every day so that when they go to school, when they go to sports practice or their team practice or whatever it is, the school bus, that when they hear things that aren't true, they know they aren't true. Because that's really hard for kids to do, but if you create a foundation of truth in their minds, then they will be able to discern the lies. We have to know what's true so that we can know what isn't. That's good. If we don't know what's true, then we can't know what isn't. So the spies come back, and they come back to Moses. They return from the land, and it says this, uh, continuing in, in chapter 13 in Numbers. We went to the land where you sent us, and indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here's some fruit. There's even proof of it. However, the people in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. And we also saw the descendants of the Anak there. And the Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hethites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea. But then Caleb stands up and he quieted the people in the presence of Moses. And he said, well, let's go up now and let's take possession of the land. Surely we can conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we cannot attack the people because they're stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land that they had scouted. And they said, the land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are men of great size. And we even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come and... Yeah, and then all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, verse 2, and the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, where they were slaves, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said the entire community, the land we pass through and explore is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, says Caleb and and Joshua, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey and give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Yeah, so good. So the second thing we learned from this passage is that after we search for truth, we know it and we believe it, truth sparks hope. 
truth sparks hope. But if we choose to believe lies, then fear and doubt start to creep in. So in the midst of the spies sharing what they observed about the impossible situation that it seemed like going into the land would be, Caleb and Joshua speak up and they share this this line. I love this line. I think it's hilarious. Okay, they say, let's go up now. Like we just got back. Let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. Um, the other spies are like, dude, did you just hear the report we gave of the land? Like, what do you mean we can certainly conquer it? Because honestly, I don't think so. Like, I'm not trying to go back in. I've been in there for 40 days. I don't want to go back. Those people are scary. I definitely don't want to pick a fight with them. Like, the spies are like, no way. But Caleb and Joshua say, we can certainly conquer it. Have you ever had someone in your life who is so optimistic and hopeful that it's actually a little bit annoying? Okay, like a little bit annoying. I have one of those. I'll point fingers right now, okay? This guy right here that I live with is so optimistic that sometimes I'm like, this is annoying. Like, I feel... Some people find it endearing. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And so, but like, for example, we had our first date, right? And we went to a coffee shop at the Marietta Square, and we're sitting down with our coffee, and I spill coffee on myself, like all over my dress. And I'm starting to freak out. Like I was really embarrassed, started to spiral. And all of a sudden he takes his coffee and he pours it on his pants. <laughs> and we walked around for like eight hours that day with just coffee all over ourselves. And honestly, that was endearing. I like that. I appreciated that. Um, but this is true of him in any situation. Like our trash can is full. Okay. We have a four month old di- uh, baby. So like diapers, right? Our trash can is full. We miss the day for trash. This happens to us a lot. They changed it like a month ago. It's yeah. fine. So we, so we missed the day for trash. It's fine. It's fine. I'm like, babe, this is not good. Like we're going to figure out. No, no, no. It's fine. We'll get it next week. It's fine. All right. He loses his keys in his wallet. This happens a lot, by the way. And no worries. I'll find it. We'll find him eventually. It's all good. All right. We blow a tire five minutes into the trip to our honeymoon. Like, we are exhausted. We have a 10-hour drive ahead of us. We blow a tire the minute we hit the highway. All right? No, it's no big deal. We'll hang out together. We still get time together, even if it's three hours in the auto shop changing our tire, right? And I'm, like, spiraling into frustration in all these situations. I do not have, like, a high patience level, okay? I'm, like, freaking out. And I always feel like I'm alone in, like, in, like, my freak out, you know? Like, I'm like, can't we just vent about this and have a mutual frustration for a second? Okay? But, like, if we're really honest... We love these people. And I'm grateful for Carson. I'm grateful for the people in my life that stir me to hope. And we need those people in our lives. We need those people who keep us hopeful and optimistic. And we need to let them stir us to that same sort of hope. And so Caleb and Joshua, they may have been overly naive and optimistic. It's easy to read that into the text. But I actually think that they had something, someone much bigger on their minds that led them to hope and believe that they really could conquer what seemed like impossible hardship, that they really could. And so Caleb and Joshua, they chose to view reality through the lens of the truth of scripture and God's word, of what God had promised them. They took what they saw and in their minds, they used the lens of what they knew was true. So I have this image for us to look at this morning. This is a graphic of a spiral Um, And I call it the truth spiral. So it kind of will help us understand a little bit of what it looks like when we allow God to be, and God's truth to be the foundation of our thought life. So this one over here. So truth, right, is our foundation. 
And we see that Caleb and Joshua trusted truth because they said, the Lord is with us. They believed the truth that the Lord really was with them. But truth spirals upward to hope, where you can go from truth to hope. And they were hoping that God would give them the land. They hadn't experienced that yet, right? Hope is what you can't see. But they were hoping that God would give them the land because they believed the truth that God was with them. And hope leads to faith, to faith. And they believed that they would devour the people in the land. They said, the Lord will protect us. I have faith that God will protect us. And that faith led to a courage, a courage, where they did not have fear. They wanted to go back into the land now. They weren't afraid. They weren't afraid. And they actually encouraged the other people to not be afraid. They said, don't be afraid. Like, quit spouting, quit believing the lies and have courage. And finally, that leads us to the top of purpose, where our purposes can be fulfilled. God's purposes for our lives can be fulfilled. God allowed them to enter the promised land because of the truth that they believed and the faith that they lived out. They got to experience their purposes fulfilled. And for us, purposes fulfilled looks like joy. It looks like peace. It looks like finding our identity firmly in Christ. It looks like an excitement and an energy to move towards all the plans that God has for our lives. Caleb and Joshua knew that if they were faithful to God, that if God um, was pleased by their faithfulness, that he would move on their behalf, that he would be with them. And they remembered all that God had done. They chose not to forget that God had done miraculous things for them, that he had done things again and again and again, and they believed that he would continue to provide and care for their families into the future. They clung to truth. They clung to truth. But as you can see here, there's two options. There's two options. And so Caleb and Joshua, they chose the greater, but the rest of the spies, they didn't choose, choose truth or courageous faith. They believed lies, and they found themselves spiraling down real fast, real fast. And the downward spiral starts with lies. It starts with believing things that aren't true. So they believed that God's power and might wasn't strong enough to overtake humans. They thought humans were stronger than God. And then that led them to a doubt. They didn't really believe God was for them. They didn't really believe, believe that God had the power to protect them, and they felt like they had to preserve themselves, which led them to fear. And using terms like, well, they're going to devour us. They're going to defeat us. Like, we, we won't win this battle. We won't win, which led them down to negativity and anger and frustration. They gave a negative report of the land. What Caleb and Joshua saw that was good the fact that they brought back proof, this giant fruit, proof of the goodness of the land, but they gave a negative report because their negativity and the lies and the fear warped their view of the goodness that God had for them. And they were angry. Caleb and Joshua, in their optimism, right, they got annoyed, as we sometimes do, and they actually threatened to stone Caleb and Joshua because they were so angry by their optimism and their hope, which led them finally to the bottom debilitation, completely frozen in fear, ultimately led to their death, never experiencing God's plans fulfilled in their lives. They lost the opportunity to enter the good land that God had promised them because they believed a lie, because they believed a lie. In Numbers 14, 29, God says this um, to all the people. He says, your corpse will fall in this wilderness. You will die. All of you who are registered in the census, the entire number of you, 20 years old or more, because you complained about me. 
because you didn't believe in me. I swear that none of you will enter the land that I promised to settle you, except Caleb and Joshua, your children. I'll bring your children, whom you said would become plunder into the land you rejected, and they will enjoy it. And they will enjoy it. So everyone ended up unable to walk in fulfilled promises, completely frozen in fear, except Caleb and Joshua and the next generation. But the parents and the grandparents, they missed out. They didn't get to watch their kids live in fulfillment of all God had. They didn't get to see their kids live out their purposes and the plans that God had for their lives. They didn't get to see their kids enter into the promised land. They missed out. And because of that, their kids had to trust God alone. Their kids had to fight the battles alone because they didn't believe, because they didn't have faith, right? And so if you really do believe, it's so easy to spiral down. It's so easy to spiral down. Think about if you're walking, running, biking, hiking, all of it. Downhill, easy. And it gets fast. Like if you start biking downhill, you real quick start to pick up speed. And it is easy to go from lies all the way to the, down to the bottom super quick. I but was thinking of the speed camera in front of Cherokee High School. <laughs> Man, when you're, going, when you're going downhill, it picks up you better faster watch than you out. Think. You better push the brakes, right? That's a good example. Yeah, sure. so push the brakes. You start going downhill, you got to start hitting those brakes, right? But going uphill is where the battle is where the battle is. You're biking uphill, you're hiking up a mountain. That is hard. And you have to fight for that. You have to fight for that. But imagine being a parent or a grandparent, all right? You're hiking a mountain. You've got a baby strapped to your chest or a six-year-old moving very slowly up the mountain in front of you or a teenager, right, behind you complaining the whole way. It's hard and it's frustrating. But if you believe that what's at the top of that mountain is worth it, then you're fighting to get up there. You're pushing your family along with you. You're not leaving your kids behind. You're taking them with you. We have to believe that what's at the top is worth it, that we can fight for truth, fight for hope, and we can bring our kids and our students with us. And I believe that unlike the Israelites, we will watch the parents and the grandparents enter into God's promises right alongside the kids and the teenagers of the next generation, and we're going to encourage one another in truth and hope. That's so good. There's one more part to this story that we're going to look at. Um, It's actually a conversation between God and Moses. So she read part of the story, but God was pretty frustrated with the people that he rescued out of slavery and then took them out to a new promised land and promised them, provided them food every single day, and they just stopped believing in him. But what we see in this story is that truth allows us to receive God's promises. When we believe truth, we can receive his promises. Not only that, but God's vision of restoration on this earth is for us to participate in the redemption of the earth and his people. Like he wants us to be participants in the building of his kingdom. It says this in chapter 14, we'll look at verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, how long are these people going to despise me? How long will they not trust me in the deep Trust me in despite of all the signs I performed among them. I will strike them with a plague and destroy them. And then I will make you, Moses, into a greater and mightier nation than they are. And Moses replied to God. He said, the Egyptians are going to hear about this. For by your strength, you brought them up. They will tell it to the inhabitants of the land that they have heard that you, Lord, are among these people. How you, Lord, are seen face to face. How your cloud stands over them. How you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you kill these people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will declare, 
Since the Lord wasn't able to bring the people into the land that he swore to them, he has slaughtered them in the wilderness. Please pardon the iniquity of these, chil- of these people in keeping with the greatness of your faithful love, just as you've forgiven them from Egypt until now. And the Lord responded, I will pardon them as you request. Yet as I live, as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these 10 times and did not obey me will ever see the land that I swore to give their ancestors. None of the people who've despised me, God, will see it. So we read this passage, and if you look at it at face value, like we're reading the story, and I'm sure some of you were thinking, like, was God really mad and Moses had to convince him not to be angry? It's kind of a difficult passage. You're reading this and you're like, is, was God, like God was, is God's just to destroy sin, right? He's holy and righteous. He's just to destroy sin. But I think what we see in this passage is something you have to pay attention to. See, God brought these people out of Egypt in hope to establish a land with them, right? Like that was God's vision, that he would bring his name glory over the entirety of the earth and rescuing these people out of slavery was the beginning of that plan. And so Moses intercedes, but Moses didn't intercede and change God's mind in the way you would think, right? Like you would think that, did Moses just change God's mind? But I think of it this way. When I look at these passages and I look at knowing truth and I look at God's restoration plan, God's goal ultimately through the Bible was to bring redemption through the earth. You see it in Genesis, right? Like when when Adam and Eve sinned and he slayed the lamb so that people, to promise that in the future there would be a sacrifice, that everyone could know God. And then he sent his son to die and raise again so that everyone could be saved and spend eternity with the father. Like, Like we know that was God's plan. We've read the end of the book. We've seen what he did through Jesus. You can't know all of that and look at this passage and say that God was, was just wholly bent on sending these people and a human being changed his mind. Like when you read this passage, the only thing I can think is this. God is not satisfied with being the only one intent on restoring the land. Like God will not stop until his people are participating. God is willing to challenge us as human beings until we grow and think and act like him. Until we have the vision to restore the earth like he does. See, God brought a problem to the people of Moses and the Israelites he was leading. God brought the problem to Moses and he allowed Moses to challenge him and think, if I'm going to lead the people of God here on this earth, like we have to make God's fame known. We have to make God's love known. And it's the exact same thing we see in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Like Jesus came for us so that we could make his love known. And he wasn't just satisfied. He promised us that he would give us new hearts. He promised us he would give us new minds, right? Like Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And and the book of Jeremiah says he's going to take away our stone hearts and give us a heart of flesh. See, God's goal for this earth is that his kingdom would be established through his people. And he's called each and every one of his people to participate in the restoration of this earth. And he's not satisfied with you just knowing who he is. He feels completely satisfied when you're close to his heart 
And we are actively participating in the redemption of people so that they can know God. Moses was able to see ahead because he knew what truth was and he knew what God's heart was for his people. That they would all be redeemed through their brokenness and shortcomings and weakness. And this conversation between Moses and God is a picture that when we know truth, when we know truth and we act on that framework, people become redeemed. And that is our calling as his followers. Paul kind of framed this idea in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. He's talking about the hardship of life, but the things that we're moving towards, towards as God's people. He said this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, think of what Moses did, as we look to things that are not seen, but are things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're here today and gone tomorrow, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God is looking for us as people to open up our eyes and see what he's doing and not submit to the lies that the world says to believe that he's doing something beyond what we can see right in front of us. We have to be people who believe and participate in the building of the kingdom of God, focusing on this truth instead of the lies of the enemy. So good. So as we close this morning, um, I can really relate to this bias. Honestly, I can. I know what it's like to believe a lie. Lies can be convincing, especially when they tear down at your self-worth, and your confidence. And when I was in high school, it would take one little thing, right? One little spill of a coffee on the drive to school to ruin my entire day, my entire day. And I really felt convicted to start fighting for this, fighting for control of my mind and my thoughts towards the end of my time in high school. And I continued to grow in that in college. And then I married this guy and he helped me and I continued to grow in it. And it's still a journey. And it's a choice every single day. You have to choose right? Days, some days are harder than others. And you have to come into a day and choose today. I'm going to fight for what's true today. I'm going to fight for truth and hope and faith and belief that God has not forsaken me no matter what I'm walking through. And Satan knows how to push the limits of our self-control. He knows how to attack on the times where we're weak and areas that we're weak. And if we're honest for a lot of us, the last couple of years have been really hard. And I know in our church family, the last few months have been hard. There's been loss. There's been hurt. There's been brokenness. And it's in those times that it's hardest to cling to truth. But it's also when it's the most important. And I've heard a lot of parents in the last couple of years tell me, this is a hard time to raise kids. This is a terrible time to start a family. It's really scary raising kids right now. But the thing is, is that God planned for your children, your students to be born into this time. They want you here right now. They need your kids here right now to pour into this generation. They need a generation of kids and students who are strong and courageous and bold in their faith. This is their time now, but they need you. They need your help. They need you to lead them and guide them and teach them what is true. And we cannot be pouring our anxieties and our fears and our frustrations and our angers into our kids. They need truth and hope today so that they can be all that God wants them to be tomorrow. And as we close this morning, I want you to think about the season of life that you're in right now. Maybe you're in a really great season. Maybe this has been a great year so far. You and your family are experiencing blessing and joy. That's wonderful. This is your training time. 
Use this time to train your minds, to speak truth to yourself, to focus on God and his goodness, to get into your word, to teach your kids how to get into their word. This is your time to train. But maybe this has been a really hard season. Maybe this has been a really, really hard season and every day feels like an uphill battle. Maybe your kids and your students are going through something that you don't understand and you don't know how to walk with them through it. And you feel like you've listened to the lies where you don't think that you're enough. You don't think that you understand how to, um, what you're doing. You don't think that you have answers. You're experiencing anxiety and depression and you feel stuck. Press the brakes. You need to take a pause. Quit spiraling down. Remember the truth that you're not alone. God is with you. He's with you. And he's stronger than what you're going through. It's not about the people. It's not about the circumstances. It's about God. It's about God and what he says. Focus your mind on him. Surround yourself with a community of believers. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine will be like the the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind came, and it poured and it pounded on that house, but it stood strong and it did not collapse. Make God's word the foundation of your thoughts. Make it the foundation of your life and your children's lives. And when the winds come, the rains come, the storms of life come, you will stand strong. Your children will stand strong. Just like Proverbs 4 says, be careful what you think. His thoughts run your life. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for our students. We thank you for the celebration and the transition of moving to college or graduating college and moving into the workforce. But God, God, we thank you for who you are and how you continue to love us. But we ask you right now, Lord, as people who are looking to follow you, ask, people who are asking questions, people who are looking to know what your heart is and what it looks like, God, that you'd saturate our minds in truth. God, your word tells us, we just read it, be careful what you think, your thoughts run your life. God, continue to renew our minds as your people. God, there's information, God, that throws us astray. There's so many opinions and voices that are screaming in this world we live in. And God, we ask that you would just saturate our minds in truth. God, that we would be able to choose the way of the wise and not the way of the foolish. That we would be people that would be known as courage. God, help us to live in courage like Caleb and Joshua who gave the good report. Let us be people who take land and ground for the kingdom of God and not just sit idly by while the enemy spreads lies. God, let us to be formed. Let us be stronger than the force that is against us through your power. God, let us do this in your name, that you would be glorified. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.